Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt, and I'm a board-certified integrative and functional nutritionist. I live on the seacoast of New Hampshire and work with clients in my virtual practice all over the world through private consultations and online nutrition and functional medicine programs. Functional medicine nutrition is all about diving deep with people to get to the root cause of their health issues. And that's exactly what I tackle in this podcast. All things health, food, and nutrition. Unpacking current research and almost a decade of clinical experience. I love to bring experts and thought leaders to the table so we can all learn together. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive in. Hey friends, I'm very happy to be back with you this week. I feel like today's conversation is, it's a little different because it's coming straight from my heart. Um, The podcast has been alive for almost three years at this point, which is crazy. Um, And I know a lot of you guys, you listeners, have been following along since day one. So today feels like I'm kind of sitting down talking to friends, um, which is cool. And hopefully you're up for hearing what I have to talk about. Before I I get into today's show, I want to tell you guys, because I think you'll think this is cool. I was shocked. Um, just out of curiosity, I went and I looked at my podcast stats. I usually track them. Um, I'm not great with statistics like anywhere, whether it's a podcast, social media, whatever, newsletters. Oh my God, that's such a source of anxiety for me. I just, I know as a business owner, I need to be kind of on top of that stuff. So I'm catering content to what people actually want to hear. But for some reason, I just haven't been able to like blow through the anxiety because all the content I put out is like straight from the heart. And when people don't like it, I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's like, it's uncomfortable. Um, it's awkward. I feel bad about myself. Anyway, so I don't usually look at stats. I have tracked like a couple of times, um, like every other month I'll look and be like, what's the monthly downloads? And usually this podcast is somewhere between 35,000 to 50,000 downloads per month, which I'm like, I don't even know what that means. I don't even know how that relates to other podcasts. Then I found out that's actually pretty darn pretty darn good. <laughs> so that's cool. Um, but then I was like, what's the all-time stat of like how many times this podcast has been downloaded since the inception? And I looked and it was, um, we're almost at 790,000 downloads. So over three quarters of a million downloads for this podcast, which is like so mind-blowing to me. And hopefully you think that's kind of cool too, especially if you've been with me since day one. Like, whoa. Um, my, I was thinking just as like a cool thing to do, if we could get to a million downloads by the end of the summer, that would be super fun. So I'm going to do a little giveaway where, um, I think the, the, the best way to get the podcast out there, one is to leave written reviews, five-star reviews and written reviews, because a lot of people, there's so many podcasts now that I think people really do look at, um, at reviews and they read through them before they commit to listening. So leaving a uh, written review is huge. And then also sharing that on, you know, your public platform, sharing it with your friends, your family, your colleagues, all that stuff really helps to move the podcast forward. So if you, um, the, to enter to win the giveaway, I'm going to give away a, um, a, 
initial intake appointment with me, a one hour initial intake appointment. So that's valued at 385. Well, 425. It's currently on sale for 385. Um, and then depending on how many entries there are, I might just start giving away eat the Eat to Achieve program too, but um, I'll keep you posted. So to enter to win, leave a written review, leave a five-star review, and then share it um, on a public platform. Ideally, Instagram, just because then I'll, ha- I'll have an easier time tracking it and keeping, you know, keeping all entries tracked. If that doesn't work for you, if you don't have Instagram, share it on Facebook and or somewhere else publicly, and then take a screenshot of it and send it to me, email it to me. So either share it on Instagram and tag me in your post so I see it, or share it on um, somewhere else and then send me the screenshot. So what you're doing is leaving a written review and then sharing a screenshot of that written review somewhere publicly as a way to just say, hey, this is a podcast I listen to. I love it. Everybody else should listen to it too. Of course, only do that if, you know, you've derived value from my podcast, if it's helped you in some way, shape, or form. Chances are, if you're listening, I'm just going to assume that it has. Otherwise, why would you still be listening to me? Okay, so let's dive into today's topic. I have a sneaking suspicion today is going to be a little bit of a longer episode. I didn't release a podcast last week, so hopefully that's fine with you guys. I'm going to, as I mentioned on the last podcast, I'll probably throughout the summer, definitely in July, maybe August, I'm going to go down to once every other week versus once a week, I think, um, just because I'm going to spend so much time um, working on my practitioner program that I, I don't, I want to really be able to like dive all the way into that. And we're going to take a vacation as a family. We haven't taken a vacation, like a break from work in a long time. So that's really important to do. And as of today, I'm pretty sure we're getting a puppy. So there's going to be that thrown into the Holt mix. Um, All right. So there's a lot going on in the world. Yep. Uh, We're in the midst of a global pandemic. Still, still happening still going on. We're also in the midst of a revolution. So there's that. Um, Tension is extremely high. Nerves are frazzled. And I've heard from a lot of people. We just closed out the carb compatibility project. I had 67 women in that program. So I learn from them. I'm learning from people on, you know, I'm talking to on Instagram. I'm learning from my one-on-one clients. Anxiety is extremely high for folks right now. Um, White people, non-black people of color are feeling anxious because we're being forced to examine our own implicit bias right now. A lot of folks are looking at systems of oppression for the very first time. That's a shock to the system. They're learning about how our country is structured around white supremacy. Um, People are anxious and stressed because they don't know what to do. They want to do the right thing, but they don't know what the right thing is. Um, They're having conversations with people, their loved one, their their peers, their friends that they've never had before. Um, There was a collective awakening. Part of me, the cynic in me is like, what took everybody so long? And then there's a part of me that's like, thank God we're finally here. Um, So there's a lot of emotions going. Um, Black people are being forced to rehash 
their their lived trauma over and over and over again watching footage of police brutality having to see this having um their white friends reach out to them and say hey can you educate me doing the emotional burden of educating people about racism there's a lot a lot going on um across the board for everybody systems are are shocked right there's just this there's this frazzled nerves across the board and it looks like we really need to evaluate how we're taking care of ourselves during this time so today i thought the most beneficial thing to do would be to talk about tools for anxiety because a lot of people are experiencing this massive collective anxiety on top of whatever personal issues that we're anxious about right just there's a lot of stuff happening um and really what a lot of people are experiencing are other big emotions, grief, anger, sadness, despair, shock, betrayal, rage. There are a lot of big emotions coming up. And historically, we have not been taught how to process or manage these big emotions. In fact, we've been taught to numb them out, to stomp them down, or to completely disregard them. We've been taught to even think that something is wrong with us for having those feelings. This starts so early on in life. If you think about toddlers having a tantrum, right? We, we tell them to stop. When babies are crying, we try to get them to stop. Um, and we're going to dive into this a lot later at the end of this show, but just understand that so many of us are walking around without the tools to navigate these big emotions, and that in and of itself can trigger anxiety. And this is a concept that I've explored on the show quite a few times over. Um, I know for a fact that my interview with Erin Telford, when we talked about breathwork, we explored this concept a little bit. So that's something that I want you to start to think about. Do you actually have a way to manage your emotions, uh, to process them, to move through them? If not, if the answer is no, that might be part of the reason that you're experiencing anxiety right now. So again, we'll talk about that in a little bit. We're going to talk about tools for anxiety in today's show, just like ongoing tools, but also what to do when you're experiencing acute anxiety, um, which is actually what I'm experiencing right now as I record this this podcast. Today is a very high anxiety day where I'm feeling a little bit out of sorts. Um, and I also can't find my glasses anywhere. So I'm reading my notes, <laughs> squinting into the screen. Okay, but before we, we get into the anxiety piece, I'm going to spend a good chunk of time talking about some big things going on in the world, going on on social media. Um, I'm going to share a personal story that happened here locally last year, but that I've never discussed on the podcast before, but it really relates to what is happening nationally. And I know that I have a lot of local listenership and this story might make some folks uncomfortable. Please understand this is not a call out to you specifically, my listener, you know, and I'm not, this is not antagonistic. I'm not directing this at you. I think a lot of us, when we hear things, we're like, oh boy, oh boy. And we get a little backed into a corner. We get defensive. If notice if those feelings come up at all throughout this discussion and understand that this is not a personal attack. These are just questions that we have to start to ask ourselves without getting defensive. Just allow the space for any emotion to come up and still 
ask ourselves these questions, still be willing to, to kind of dive into that. Um, these, some of the things that I'm saying is, is to really encourage people to start to evaluate things. And in this particular situation, the question would be, how did I respond to the situation and how might that change moving forward? Right. Cause a lot of people are coming up and saying, I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to do the work. I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to dive in. But how have you historically responded to, um, to situations in real life. Now, I know a lot of you guys might be here for nutrition and food education. I am a nutritionist after all. Um, you want the health information, you want the functional medicine stuff, and I love that. I'm here for it. I'm stoked to have you here. I love you guys. I love every single one of you that has downloaded, you know, close to a million podcast episodes. That might be a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> We're going to be close to a million downloads. Um, I love teaching about this stuff. I think you guys know that. I'm I'm so, so gosh darn passionate about this stuff. And I'm going to continue to talk about this happily. I love it. Uh, but part of my job is to get you to understand that health extends beyond just food, right? Beyond broccoli and kale. <laughs> it's a good start, but it's not the whole enchilada. True health encompasses issues of social justice, of human rights, and yeah, politics too. Now, chances are if you're here, you're down with all of that. I have not shied away from these conversations on the podcast, in real life, on social media. I've always used my business as a jump off for for all of these conversations. And I know that I um, my audience is, is really down for this, which is another reason why I love my people. Um, most of you guys have been riding along for the past three years. You know that if you're coming here for the nutrition tips, you also might get a side of systemic oppression, right? That might come up in conversation because social justice is health. Wellness is politics. And I can't change that truth just to make more people more comfortable. These are hard conversations. These are really tough topics. And um, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I have witnessed unfollows on social media every single time I've posted about racism over the past few years. Every single time. Every single time. This is not a joke. This is happening. I've talked to a lot of my influencer friends that have a much larger social media presence, and they see these numbers, I mean, way bigger than I do. I, I think at this point I have around 5,000 people on Instagram. Um, I never know how to say that. I have 5,000 followers. It sounds so weird, but there are 5,000 people on Instagram <laughs> that are connected to me. How do you say that without sounding like a royal D-bag? I don't know. Um, but people with a bigger Instagram audience are are really, they lose numbers in, in massive ways, which to me is just, it's really disheartening. It really makes me feel super sad. Um, like that's just being like, I so don't even want to acknowledge that racism exists that I can't even have you in my feed. Like, that's what that says to me, which is like, yo, that sounds like you got some unpacking to do, kid. Um, but here's the deal. I'm not 
going to alter my willingness to engage in certain topics just to be more palatable to the masses. I've never been a vanilla person. I'm just going to, you know, I've never been the type of person that's going to say things just to make people comfortable. I'm a rebel rouser. I get that. Part of my job here on the planet is to be a little bit of like a catalyst for people. I've made peace with that. Listen, I've spent most of my life hating myself. I've spent a, a good deal of my life trying to starve myself into submission, trying to to binge and purge myself of the very person that I am, not going to happen anymore. It's just not. I am not for everybody. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I'm okay with that. Truly, I'm okay with that. I get that the words that come out of my mouth are not going to keep everybody happy. I'm cool. I'm really cool with that. Um, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I am more concerned with human lives than I am with likes and follows always and forever. Wellness is for everybody, every single one. And I'm so glad that over the past week or so, many wellness professionals have opened their eyes up to the truth that these two things cannot be disentangled. Um, because historically, there's been a lot of wellness professionals that haven't been willing to take a stand, that haven't been willing to speak out on, on issues like this, um, because like for fear of like losing followers and because they didn't want to like, it didn't go along with their brand aesthetics. And I'm so glad to see this collective shift where we're all acknowledging human lives are more important than your brand aesthetics. Human lives are more important than follows in likes in shares, right? We need this big collective shift. We need everybody to rise up and be willing to agree with that one basic truth. So I'm glad for it. I ho just hope that everyone is holding themselves accountable for all the promises that were made last week and this week, right? And listen, if you're listening to this and you totally disagree with me, okay, but please don't feel entitled to give me feedback on what I should or should not say on my podcast and my platform. Um, you guys know that I love my boundaries. That's a hard boundary hard boundary. And I'm you I will say that I don't usually get stuff like this once in a blue moon someone will be like stick to food and I'm like bye bye um not here for it. You 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 don't like if you want to talk about things that you feel passionate about, spend 10 years building your own platform, okay? Don't come to don't cruise on over to mine and tell me what I can and cannot say. And let's leave it at that. Um there, are, of course, I'm open to feedback. And you guys know, I, I accept podcast questions all the time. I'm listening or I'm answering listener questions. I create content in response to what you're looking for. I'm always open to hearing about that stuff. Um, I'm also open to, you know, um, to certain pieces of feedback. So I'm not open to feedback telling me what topics I can and cannot talk about on my show. This is my show. I built it from the ground up. You can keep it moving. Cool, you know, cool, cool. Uh, but I am open to feedback always on ways that I can make this podcast feel like a more inclusionary space. So two examples of this. One was maybe last summer. I feel like it was last summer. I feel like it was summer for some reason. And I did a podcast on low libido. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what it was on. Gosh, now I'm getting everything muddled up. But I talked about low libido on a podcast. I think I even wrote a blog about it and reasons for low libido. It was just uh, something that a, a couple of listeners had 
written in about. I'm like, oh, okay, this keeps popping up. If something keeps popping up, I'm like, all right, I got to address it on the big platform, on the podcast. And so I talked about reasons for low libido. Um, and I got, a, I got a DM on Instagram from a longtime listener of the show. And she said, hey, I felt a little uncomfortable listening to that episode because I am like, I've never had a libido. I am asexual. Um, I, she, she was talking about the fact that some people just simply do not have a sex drive there. That is, that's not the way that they came to this world. Now I'm already butchering this conversation and I'm getting hot and sweaty because I'm, I'm sure I'm saying all of the words wrong, but that was brand new information to me. And I was like, whoa, I had no idea. You just taught me something. You, at the end of the day, you felt uncomfortable listening to my podcast because you didn't feel included. Holy smokes. This is something that I need to address. So I addressed it. I talked on social media. I, I shared her, um, uh, anonymously shared what she wrote to me as a way to teach other people like, hey, like, let's pay attention to this. And I also did a public apology because of course I'm, I, I am going to apologize for making somebody feel not included in my show. You know, so things like that, I am all for. I have a trans friend who addressed, who called me in privately, sent me an email and addressed the way that I talk about gender. I use a lot of male-female language as it relates to hormones and everything else. And that was a big eye-opener for me. I have to um, really think about my gender-specific language. And this is not happening overnight. This is not something that I'm like, okay, and tomorrow I'm, I'm all fixed. <laughs> I'm all perfect. This is something that I have to think about. I have to actively work on. I have to learn. I have to make sure that I'm doing the right thing and addressing all people when I talk on the podcast. And so um, just know that I am always open to feedback about how to make this show a more inclusionary space. Okay. that That's the feedback that I'm open for. The feedback I am not open for is saying, you can't talk about this on the podcast that you built. <laughs> like, sorry, not here for it. Um, this happened, I'll quickly say that this happened around the time of COVID when it first started trickling into the U.S. We, ha we were not on quarantine yet. Um, I had somebody reach out who, I don't know, uh, but because they follow me on social media, felt very entitled to tell me what I can and cannot use my Instagram handle for and said that as a healthcare provider, I shouldn't be instilling fear in people and I shouldn't be talking about COVID because I'm a fear monger. And I was like, okay. And like a month later, shit hit the fan. And I'm like, where are you at now? Where are you at now with your feedback? It's just... It's, it's baffling to me. I know this happens across many platforms. It's so baffling to me, the sense of entitlement of because I choose to follow your account on social media, I am now entitled to tell you what to do with this platform you've spent a decade building. It's weird. I know it's not just a me thing. It's an everybody thing with a, with a public facing business, but it's just such a weird thing. It's just weird. Um, at the end of the day, this podcast is a free resource, you know, free. You can come and go as you please. Free, 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 free. Um, and I am beyond grateful to those who invest their time into listening to it. 
open to topic suggestions, open to some feedback, but nobody's a shareholder here. So remember that. Um, Now, I did not release a podcast last week because um, I had paused all content creation on social media as a way to de-center myself, um, de-center the white narrative, which I'll talk about in a second, and amplify the voices and the work of BIPOC, uh, Black Indigenous People of Color. And the white narrative, people get very uncomfortable when we say white people. Okay, there that that's not a bad, nasty thing to say. It it is what it is. Um, we we are white people. I am a white person, right? So try not to let that feel very jarring when you read it or when you hear it. Uh, but the white narrative is one that centers the uh, the white person's experience in the midst of all of this. So. Um, you know, you have probably seen, and maybe you've even said this, um, I'm heartbroken. So we're learning about all the social injustice in the world, maybe for the first time for some people. Maybe this is the first time that they've become aware of this and they're like, wait a second, what? Um, I'm heartbroken. My heart is heavy. I'm sick about this. I've been searching for the words to figure out what to say. I've been processing this. I cried as I watched the video. I am shocked. I haven't slept, right? It's very me-centric. This is my experience. This is my opinion. These are my feelings versus centering the actual black experience versus centering Black Lives Matter movement versus centering um, the lived experience of a black person, right? It's how we're processing it. Um, if you've done that, okay, now you know. Uh, it might not be the best approach. It, it, in, when we hear things, at least for me, I can speak from my own experience. When I hear somebody say this is not the best way to do it and it's something that I've done, it feels like a swift kick to the gut. I'm like, oh, that doesn't feel good. I made a mistake. And it can be a little embarrassing and we might want to just he- like poke our heads in the sand and like not come up for a while. I'm going to talk about why that's not okay. I'll talk about making mistakes and just like being okay with making mistakes and giving yourself some grace as we navigate this um, together. Like you're going to make mistakes. I I promise you that. I'm going to make mistakes. I have made mistakes. I try to put my mistakes on public blast so other people can learn from mistakes. Um, So anyway, we're going to get into that in a little bit. So anyway, I, I muted myself. It was a social media challenge called Amplify Melanated Voices. It was put together by Alicia McCullough. Um, she is a licensed mental health therapist. She's at Black and Embodies on Instagram. And also Jessica Wilson, who is a registered dietitian. She's jessicawilson.msrd on Instagram. So these two women came together and created this thing holy smokes, did it pick up some steam. Um, and, and it basically was just about passing the mic and using your privilege and using your platform in order to amplify voices that might not be heard otherwise. And um, the whole concept of passing the mic, sharing the stage, utilizing your privilege to let other voice, voices be heard is a concept that Chrissy King talked about in our conversation that we recorded. Uh, I think it was December, because I remember it was right around, I think it was right before Christmas, 
of 2018. And so that interview was released here as episode 43, entitled Intersectional Feminism and the Co-Opting of Movements. Now, at that point, I had been following Chrissy's work for a while. She's very vocal about inclusion and diversity in the wellness industry, which has historically been a very whitewashed space. So as a wellness podcast, I you know, I really wanted to bring that conversation to light. And as a white woman, I'm not really the best person to do it. So I knew that Chrissy just, I, I love everything she writes. I've been like hoping that she'll write a book for oh, at least two years now. She's just really good with her words. She doesn't mince words. She just gets right to the point. Um, and I was glad to introduce some of those concepts to this audience. Now, if you've listened to that episode, you might have noticed I was super nervous about it. My friends and like the folks that know me well was like, you sounded really nervous in that podcast. I was shitting myself because I didn't want to F up. I didn't want to say the wrong thing. I didn't want to make a mistake. I didn't want to make a mistake publicly, but I also owned up to that and was just like, listen, I'm, I don't know what to say. I don't know the right thing. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just trying my best and I'm listening and learning. And I've talked to a lot of people over the past couple of weeks. I've had a lot of conversations. And one trend that I'm seeing is this paralyzation for fear of making mistakes. I think people are so nervous about doing the right thing or the wrong thing that they're just not doing anything. And I get it. Making mistakes sucks. Like I said, it's like that swift kick to the gut. Like, oh, and especially if you do it on a public platform, like if you make a social media post and somebody calls you in and is like, hey, probably shouldn't say that. Here's why. And you're like, oh my God, I didn't know that. This is embarrassing, right? I I get that. It doesn't feel good. It feels rotten. It feels bad. But that's just your pride and ego a little bit bruised. And those bruises heal up lickety split. But here's the deal. What's not going to heal, what's not going to change is our world in the systems of oppression that keeps it locked into place if everyone is so worried about making mistakes that they don't speak up or take action. Um, we have to be able to try and to be okay with constructive feedback. Like I was saying, like we want to get back, to, we, we feel like we're being backed into a corner, like rat in a cage, and we feel like we need to like lash out or defend ourselves. And that's really not what we need to do. We just have to listen and just be like, oh, okay. Oh, okay, cool. Made a mistake. Let's move on. We're going to learn from it. We're going to try again. Now, this is assuming that your mistake didn't do harm. If it did harm, then there's apologies in order, no doubt. But if you made a simple mistake, you just got to learn from it and, and then get back out there. Try again. Now, I am a perfectionist. I've said that on the show before. I wish it wasn't true. It's very much so true. I've been working on it. I am a recovering perfectionist. I have not recovered fully. Um, I effing hate making mistakes. I hate it. But I'm also starting to unpack the fact that my perfectionism is partly due to internalized white supremacy. How about that? So maybe in order to dismantle this, I have to drop the illusion of perfection and be okay with making mistakes, even though it feels bad. <laughs> it feels really bad. I just have to be okay with it and move on. And I'm saying that because maybe you do too. You know, maybe we just all have to be okay with making some mistakes. And as always, I am not the expert here. Okay. I am a white person listening to the lived experiences of black people. I'm unpacking my own shit in my own time in private, but I'm 
publicly fumbling around and trying to get more comfortable with making mistakes so I can keep showing up and keep doing the work that's being asked of me right now because the truth is I want change. I want to do the work. I'm willing to do the work. But doing the work means making mistakes sometimes. And that conversation with Chrissy was honestly a life-changing conversation for me. And I I don't say that lightly. I'm not talking about like, ooh, this banana bread is life-changing. This chocolate mousse recipe is life-changing. No, like this changed my life because it not only gave me the confidence to challenge systemic racism in real life um, as it came up, as it was presented to me, but she, she gave me really, or all of us listening, really tangible tools to do so. That's what I love about Chrissy's work. It is like, do this. You can do this. And I'm like, I can do that. Holy shit. Holy shit. I, I can do that. All right. I'm going to do that. And I had immediately after that interview, I had real life opportunities to put these things into practice in both my life and my business. And I did it, right? A lot of us are learning. We're maybe reading the books or we're taking some programs right now. And that is so important. But we also have to, everything that we learn, we're, we're going to have to implement. Um, so if you haven't listened to that episode, I highly recommend it as a starting point. But I also strongly recommend Chrissy's work- workshop. So this week and next week, she is teaching a workshop called Anti-Racism for Wellness Professionals, How to Show Up Better. Um, I attended on Monday. It was phenomenal. It will not be over your head if that's what you're worried about. It is r- like two and a half hours of no nonsense, just like really good information, really, really good stuff. Um, So I highly recommend it. Even if you're not in the wellness space, I would say it doesn't just exclusively apply to wellness professionals. After doing the workshop, I will say that. So all the workshops workshops this week were sold out, which is beyond exciting. Um, So she added three more next week. I don't know if there's still spots yet. I will post the link in my, um, in the show notes for you guys. I've been sharing it on Instagram a ton, Uh, or you could just head over right now to Chrissy King. I am, she's at, I am Chrissy King. And, um, and you know, the links in her bio and all of that. If you're a wellness professional, you got to get on this. If you're not, I would still highly recommend it. Um, so anyway, the, the past week, I really utilize it to continue to evaluate how do I want to show up here? How do I want to show up as a podcast host, as a business owner, as somebody who's about to train other health practitioners? How do I want to lead? And, you know, I talked about, um, leading. I, I did it a podcast episode. It was your wellness business in the time of COVID, something like that. And I talked about this concept of leading, you know, for better or for worse, if you own a business, you're kind of in a position to lead, right? If you have a big audience, you're in this position to lead. And so I don't take that responsibility lightly. And I, I, I think about this a lot, like, how do I want to show up? How do I want to show up as a leader? Now, I I really hesitated saying too much about it because I didn't want to position the discussion around myself, right? That the, um, the, uh, I I didn't, I didn't want it to be about me is, is pretty much what I'm saying. But I also understand in, in thinking about this and dialoguing with a lot of folks that you're here tuning into the Functional Nutrition Podcast to hear from me. So that there's a responsibility there to 
to talk about some of these things. And, but I, I want to make it really clear, crystal clear. I have to say this, that my work as a white woman does not include educating on racism. I'm saying that here. I'm not going to do this about face into all of a sudden lecturing folks on, on racism. That is not my role at all. That's actually very inappropriate. And I'm starting to see that actually in our community right now where, where white, white women are starting to consider themselves the experts on this subject. What we need to do is actually pay black educators to teach us about this. It's very wildly inappropriate for white women to be doing this. And my work, what my work is, is to continue my own inner work and then direct anyone here to black educators to learn from and suggest that you pay them for your education. Um, So these, I'm going to give you a few, and of, of course I'll link in the show notes, but some of the the educators that I have learned from um, and that I continue to learn from and continue to um, support financially because I it's that there's an exchange there. I'm learning from their education. And so um, I, of course, want to financially support that because I'm receiving benefit from them. So Chrissy King, I just mentioned that one. I love her, love her, love her. She also does another workshop or a course in diversity. So as soon as she opens that up for enrollment, I will be partaking in that and I'll let you guys know about it too. Um, definitely on Instagram. Dr. T. Williams, he's at I am Dr. T on Instagram. He teaches Foundations of Social Justice. It's an online course. Um, so I enrolled in the June course. That one's sold out. You can get on the wait list for his next offering. There's also a self-paced course that you can pick through at your own time. Um, the one that I'm doing is live. So I'll be in live classes with other people, which you guys, I have to admit, that is not the way I learn best. It is not, that is so far out of my comfort zone, so far out of my comfort zone. I never do stuff like this, but I was like, I gotta get uncomfortable, (laughs) gotta get uncomfortable to, you know, to really, to really kind of tuck into this. So I'm really excited. I'm a little nervous about being like learning in a live format. Um, I don't like eyes on me when I learn. I really don't. Uh, so I'll keep you posted about how that goes. I'm excited about it. Uh, Lisa Renee Hall is amazing. She does a lot of stuff for highly sensitive people. Um, so the empaths, just you, if you're you're if you're an HSP, you know you're an HSP. If you're not, and you're like, wait a second, what is that? Look into it. You might discover that you are. Um, but she does uh, inner field trip work. She does writing guides. She writes articles, um, and all of that is offered through her Patreon account. And you can sign up for as little as five dollars a month. Um, and I highly recommend it, especially if you tend to be, you know, if you're not vocal, you tend to withdraw into yourself, even things that you feel, feel passionately about. If you withdraw into yourself, she has really great resources for you. Then there's of course, Layla Saad. She wrote me in white supremacy, which is now a New York times bestselling book. And a, what is it called? Sunday times bestselling book. Anyway, that's crazy. Um, If you originally downloaded the workbook as a free PDF um, up until last year, maybe even early this year, no, last year it was a free PDF 
guide that you could just download. It started as an Instagram challenge. It morphed into a workbook and now it's a New York Times bestselling book. Um, don't share those. Don't share that with other people, even if you have it downloaded, because that's really disrespecting the work and her intellectual property. Go out and actually buy the book. And then, of course, there's Rachel Cargill, um, her work through The Great Unlearn. She has an online learning platform that's, again, offered through Patreon. She's wonderful. And you can sign up for as little as $5 a month. And to be honest with you, I learned so much. Part of my understanding about different viewpoints is by hanging out in the comment sections of some of these accounts, especially Rachel's, because there's a lot of comments to read through, just reading and listening, reading and listening, listening to what people have to say. She does a lot with, um, she calls them Saturday school posts. Um, I've shared a lot of her work on Instagram in my stories and um, on my grid. So you've probably seen me talk about her if you don't already know her. Here's an interesting thing that I noticed. And again, this is just a question to think about. If you're like, I, I want to do the work, here's a, here's a here's a question to ask yourself if this even applies to you. Um, I noticed that a lot of my friends and followers just started following Rachel last week, despite the fact that I've shared her work um, at least a couple of times a month, maybe more for at least a year, probably more like two years. And I, if, if you've seen these accounts pop up, but you just decided to follow them this week or last week, that would be a good exploratory question for yourself to start to unpack some of this stuff yourself. Why now? You know, I've seen this before. I've seen this floating around before. Why now? Why did I just start following this, this person now? And again, you didn't do anything wrong. This is, shame and guilt will hold you back. This is not to, to feel badly. Part of the work is looking at your own behavior. Um, and in this way, this is how we start to unpack our own internalized racism or implicit bias, right? Um, here's an example. My friend reached out to me and she sent me a text and she's just like, I just went through every single influencer I follow. She follows influencers for clothes and like beauty tips and all that kind of stuff. And she realized that not one person is a person of color. And she's like, I'm shook. What, what does that mean about me? What does that say about me? And she was feeling like really crappy. And we have to just make space for the first step in all of this is awareness. Okay, so you are, you're just aware that every single person on your, there's no diversity in your feed. You just became aware of that. Awareness is the first step. We cannot make change if we're not first aware of the problem. We're all coming to this at different times. There needs to be some space and some grace for that. Um, and I, again, I share all of this not as an expert by any means, but because these are the questions that I have to ask myself continuously, constantly. This is the unpacking that I'm talking about. This is the work that never ends. This is the ongoing stuff that we have to continue to look at in ourselves and not just keep feeling badly about it, but like actually just changing it. Okay, I don't like that anymore. I'm going to change it. I don't want to be this anymore. I'm going to change it. So you know, get to work, cut yourself some slack, but get to work. Um, something that Chrissy said in her, that workshop is the posting is important, but that's not the work. The posting is important, but that's not the work. And this really reminded me of something that I saw recently on 
uh, Jeremiah Lewis. He's a local tattoo artist. I reached out to him. I said, hey, can I mention your name and paraphrase you on my podcast? He gave me permission. So this is not, you know, I, I'm not doing this without explicit permission. Um, but he brought up a really good point. And this is the thing that I've never talked about on the podcast. I've talked about it on social media. So if you do follow me on Instagram, this story might sound familiar. And if you're local to the seacoast of New Hampshire, you might know about this. I'm assuming that you do. But um, there, there was a post that a, a, a local yoga studio owner posted. And within the post, she said a racial slur. And I saw it and was like, oh my God, oh my God. And a friend of mine saw it and had the same reaction. And my friend reached out to her privately and said, hey, you know, kind of brought her attention to it. I reached out to her, uh, she didn't, she didn't do anything. I reached out to her publicly on the post and said it in the nicest way that I, I knew how, like, hey, you might want to revisit that word. And her response and reaction was to post a public video where she not only didn't apologize, um, she didn't take down the post. She actually doubled down on what she said. She said the slur again and actually quoted Bill Burr and said, everybody's too sensitive these days. That was her response. Not an apology, but everyone's too sensitive, which is gaslighting. This is gaslighting. And I want to give everybody a heads up. It's something to expect. As you start to challenge systemic racism in your own life, this will happen. The gaslighting will happen. And this is what I mean about getting uncomfortable. This 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 will make you uncomfortable. It's not fun. Um, I was also, at that time, I was also accused of being a bully, which is another form of gaslighting. Holding somebody accountable uh, for their racist remarks is not actually bullying, but you will be called a bully. And that is another form of gaslighting. And it's also not true. I never once, not even to this day, said this woman's name publicly or her business name. Um, and in fact, I wasn't even hyper-focused on her. Obviously, the word she used was inexcusable. Her reaction and her non-apology was inexcusable. Her unwillingness to take accountability for her actions cost her a lot of respect in the community. My biggest concern in all of this is that over 150 people, I think it was like, a, I think it was around 150 people, saw the original post and said nothing. 150 people liked the post and then moved on with their day. And that was my biggest problem is saying, hey, this problem is so much deeper than one person. The fact that 150 people could read a racial, a racial slur posted publicly and not say anything about it, that's a problem. That is a real big problem. And that's the exact point that Jeremiah was making this week in in. In um, what he said, it's easy. I'm paraphrasing him here because I don't have the direct quote, but it's easy to fight racism when you think it's in a faraway, distance land, right? It's easy to to go to the march and say racism is bad. This is a bad thing, 
when you when you when you feel like it's happening outside of yourself but how are you showing up when it actually lands on your doorstep when it lands in your own town in your local yoga studio when it's someone you actually know right the people that are marching the people that were posting the black squares last week how do you actually respond in real life to racist remarks maybe some people listening were some of the people that liked that post and kept it moving. Maybe some of the people listening saw the post, saw the comment, and said nothing. Are you holding people accountable? Are you voting with your dollars? What type of businesses are you supporting? These are all the questions that we have to ask. This is the ways that we have to show up in real life. Again, the posting is important, but that's not the work. The real work will make you uncomfortable. It will inconvenience you. It will ask you to give something up, whether that's your time, your comfort level, your platform, or something else. If it doesn't do these things, it's not work. It's just performance. The black square, if you post a black square and that is all you do, that's not the work, right? That's performance. That's optics. And I think the concern right now is this. There's a lot of performance and optics going on on social media, but we got to pull up in real life and that this work doesn't end, right? It's not a week-long event. It's not a month-long event. To tear down the systems that are oppressing people, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some effort. And so again, I will redirect you back to the Black educators to learn how to start to unpack your own implicit bias, your own internalized racism. And yes, we all have it. We really do. And then there's one final thing that I want to say about this, and I'm speaking directly to my empaths because I'm hearing a lot of people say, I'm an empath, I'm an empath, and I'm exhausted by this. I'm totally wiped out. I get it. I also feel other people's emotions in my body. I've talked about it on the show before. Like, I I truly get that. Here's what Lisa Renee Hall has to say when she's talking to the highly sensitive people, when she's talking to the empaths. Part of anti-bias work is to strengthen your boundaries simply because you can't join every fight, nor can you engage in every conversation. My goal is to help highly sensitive people stop using their sensitivities as an excuse not to engage in anti-bias work and instead use a method to help them explore their biases on a consistent basis. I'm not looking for drive-by alleys here today and gone tomorrow. So again, I'll redirect you back to Lisa Renee Hall's work. Follow her on Instagram and sign up for her Patreon account. There's a lot of really, really good resources for you up in there. Okay, so where are we at with time? 48 minutes. Holy heck, I knew this was going to be a long episode. Let's get into anxiety. Let's talk about it. And I just want to say thank you, everyone, for hearing me out on all of that. If you know me at all, you know that I can't just put on a fake smile and be like, let's talk about nutrition when the world is like essentially burning around us. I'm not going to ignore the big things happening in this world. It's not why I started a podcast to just be more like fluff, not why I'm here. Um, And I feel like not talking about this is to further bury and invalidate and silence the black experience. And I'm not here to play that game, right? That the time for that has is over. There was never a time for it, but we really have to knock that off. 
Um, so let's talk about what to do if you're experiencing acute anxiety. You, maybe you were like, I, I wasn't anxious before, but after that last 48 minutes, I'm sure as shit anxious. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, so what I, I am no, I'll for, first by, uh, start off by saying I'm not a stranger to anxiety. I started having panic attacks in, I think I was an anxious child and just didn't know it. We didn't have a lot of like language for that. I just got tummy aches all the time. Um, but in my late teens, I started getting full-blown panic attacks and um, had to medicate for a few years because I, I had no, I didn't know how to um, to deal with them. Um, so I, I've learned a lot of tricks. I have a lot of tricks up my sleeve for anxiety. So these are actually things that I put into practice in my own life and tools that I give to my clients that are experiencing anxiety. Now, remember episode 89 of the podcast, I interviewed my friend and dietitian Kaylee McDevitt. We talked about the root causes of anxiety. It's a really good episode. She dives into a lot of the nitty gritty. I'm not going to get into any of that today because we've already done that. Um, so travel back to that. If you have just like consistent chronic ongoing anxiety, um, maybe gets amplified in cert- certain situations, but it's just kind of always there. Travel back to episode 89 because that can really, really help you out. Um, but today I'm going to talk about what to do when you're actually experiencing it in real time. The first place that I always start is with different types of herbs. I love nervine herbs. There are certain supplements that I go to when I'm feeling anxiety in my body and I'm like, whoa, dude, not feeling good. Um, Certain herbs are calming and soothing. They can calm down the body when you're feeling anxious. Um, They can be very helpful when you're in the moment, when you're feeling tense and stressed. Um, I don't, I used to have a prescription to Xanax, like this is way back in the day. And I always kept it in my purse, like as an as needed thing. I, I, I was never... Um, it was never communicated to me how addictive Xanax can be. Um, and it, I, maybe I've said this on the show before. You also can black out when you combine it with alcohol. I was like 20 at the time. So, hey, I was drinking. Uh, I was. It was like my party heyday time that I was on Xanax. Um, maybe I was 21. And I would black out like functional blackout. Like I would be having a conversation with somebody who wouldn't remember it because I'd be combining the pills with like a glass of wine. And anyway, that's kind of scary stuff. But I, uh, for the folks that, that need that in their purse, just to kind of soothe their soul down, I would, I would suggest, um, playing around with some different herbs and seeing if any of them can do a similar thing for you. Because I always have a cabinet full of herbs and tinctures for this exact reason. It soothes me down knowing if I hit a patch of anxiety that I feel like I can't manage, I have my herbs in my closet to reach to. Now, a a big one that I I love for um, like just ongoing anxiety is L-theanine. It's not an herb. It's an an amino acid. It's a precursor to GABA, which is a neurotransmitter in the brain that's very calming and soothing. And if we're low in GABA, we can tend to have more anxiety. Uh, There's different reasons for for this deficiency. I won't get into that. We talked about it in episode 89 a little bit, but L-theanine can be really helpful. I usually have people take about 200 milligrams. So you can do 100 to 200 milligrams two to three times a day. And this is more for like ongoing anxiety. Um, I have heard this is, this has helped a lot of my clients out in a major way. So there's an option as far as herbs go. 
Kava is great. Kava isn't something that you want to do all all day every day. It can um, can be a little tough on the liver, um, which is if if you, I mean that's kind of an extreme situation, but. Um, I love kava. I'll do like two tincture dropperfuls in a glass when I'm feeling anxiety, especially in the evening because it can make you a little sleepy. People respond and react to herbs in different ways. That one can make some people a little bit sleepy. So I like it at night. I will say my anxiety usually tends to ramp up at night. Um, I think because everything kind of calms down and I don't have as many distractions as I do during the day. So I'm like actually forced to evaluate and sit with my anxiety and my feelings. Oh, oh dear. Um, other herbs that I like, lemon balm. Oh my gosh, that's one of my favorites. Holy basil is another nice one that can lower uh, cortisol. So if you have high cortisol, that's a good one. I just planted lemon balm and holy basil in my garden. If you listen to herbalists, I'm not an herbalist. I love plants and I love herbs and I love plant medicine, but I'm not trained in it. But if you listen to the folks that are actually trained in this, they'll talk about relationships to herbs. Like, do you have a relationship with this herb? And at first, when I first started hearing that kind of talk, I was like, what? This is kind of cray. You know, (laughs) this is a little out there. But the more that I... The more time I spend in my garden in working with the herbs, I'm I, the more I'm understanding that mentality is like yeah, like lemon balm. When I think about lemon balm, it just I I, don't, I can't describe it. I just love it. I love the tincture. I love the teas. Now I'm growing it in my garden. I love the dried herb. All of it. I'm I'm about it about it with lemon balm. I use it often. Um, what I will do is. I usually do, I'll have a bunch of tinctures and I'll usually just combine a few different ones into a little bit of water and chug it down. That's what I did at the start of the podcast uh, when I started recording because I was like a little shaky with anxiety. I think this is just a, you know, obviously a big topic to talk about today and I was nervous about it and um, it really kind of mellowed me right out. So I'll do some combination of lemon balm, passion flower, oat straw, skull cap. Those are some that I really love. Um, uh, Shisandra is more of an adaptogenic herb. I like that one too. Magnolia is another one that's very calming and soothing. So those are all things you can think about. You can get a product that has like, you know, a combination of different herbs altogether. You can get these in individual, uh, in individual tinctures or pills and kind of play around with what makes you feel the best. I think that I get the most effect when I combine like four or five all together. Um, There's also CBD. I use CBD a lot. I've talked about CBD and anxiety quite a bit. Um, That's something to look into. Coyote River is the company that, that I use and work with. I highly recommend them. They are, they, their plants are grown locally in, gosh, Vermont, Maine. Now I'm forgetting. Forgive me if Ryan's listening to this. My my bad. Um, I think they were grown in Vermont and then now they're grown in Maine. But regardless, it's somewhere close. Um, magnesium is a mineral that can be very calming and soothing to the system. And I can't say that magnesium makes my anxiety go away, but I'm just constantly taking magnesium as a way to like calm down the system. And then there's pills that you can kind of combine a bunch of different things in. So Designs for Health makes something called Catecholicom. I have that. That is a practitioner brand. I do have it on my online dispensary. A lot of the stuff I, I'll talk about today I have on my online dispensary. But Catecholicom 
is very, I use it clinically for high cortisol because it has a lot of herbs that help to lower cortisol in it um, and can just be helpful for anxiety, can be helpful for sleep as well. And then one thing I'm going to bring up that I know nothing about is flower essences, but I'm only going to just tease that out because I know a lot of people swear by them. Again, I don't know anything about it, so I can't, I just want to put it on your table um, as a potential option. Um, When I did the Seacoast Wellness Summit, I was sat on the panel for that last year and we got little gift bags from um, with little treats from local companies. And I got this bottle and I just found it a couple of weeks ago. It was just sitting in my cupboard and it's called The Light Waters. I think that's the company. Um, I have it in my hand. It's thelightwatersshop.com. And the, the bottle said stress relief on it. So I was like, jug a lug, jug a lug like you did last night. Give me that bottle. I need that stress relief. And I was like, I don't even know what this is. And I'm pretty sure it's, they're like essences. I don't know what that means, but I got to tell you, I've been doing three drops three times a day and it really makes me feel better. I don't know. I don't know what it's all about. Um, If somebody that knows about this company is listening to the show and has more information, by all means, reach out. But I'm just saying that product worked and I don't know what it is. So there's a lot of different ways we can use plant medicine to calm down our systems. Um, And a lot of those things can be helpful for sleep too. I do want to talk about sleep. We need to talk about sleep because when we're anxious, it can be hard to sleep. And when we're not sleeping well, that can drive up anxiety. There's a million different reasons that sleep can be off. Uh, This isn't a sleep episode, so I won't unpack all of them here. We certainly don't have the time today. But if anxiety is contributing to your lack of sleep, here are some things to try. Turn off the TV. Turn off the news before bed, right? This increases cortisol. Our cortisol should, our stress hormone should be lowered as we go to sleep because it's like the sun and the moon with melatonin. Cortisol spikes in the morning and it should slowly taper off throughout the course of the day. Melatonin spikes in the evening and that is part of the sleep-wake cycle. So if that gets screwed up because cortisol imbalance, it's going to be really hard for you to fall asleep at night or stay asleep at night. So think about all of the different ways you could jack up your cortisol at night. Stop doing those things. Don't work. Don't check your emails. Maybe stay off of social media. Um, Any type of blue light from your screen can inhibit the production of melatonin. So dim the lights at night. You know, no, I have a rule, no screen time, one to two hours before bed. I can get kind of flexible with this if I don't, if I'm not struggling with my sleep. But if I am struggling with my sleep, that's a hard rule. We don't have any screens in our bedrooms. We don't have any blue lights, no electronics, no lights from plugs in our bedrooms because it impacts sleep. Um... So don't do anything to drive up cortisol at night. And then just social media breaks in general can be good for anxiety and mental health. This is not something that I do well, but this is, I just talked to my husband about it and I'm like committed to setting time limits for my phone use because my anxiety is high right now. Um, that is something that I'm going to do. I'm saying it out loud to hold myself accountable. I have to like sometimes announce things so I make sure I hold myself accountable. So Um, what I'm going to practice doing is turning off my phone. We're going to turn off the internet at 7 p.m. every night. I'll keep you posted on how that goes. But I'm recognizing, hey, my anxiety is flying high, so I got to do some things to change that. 
This is one of the things that I'm going to do. Um, other tips for sleep. You can do a bedtime snack. So sometimes eating a little bit of carbohydrate with a little bit of fat, like a banana or a half a banana with some almond butter or peanut butter can help sleep. It has a lot to do with blood sugar regulation, which is important uh, for sleep. Um, You could do an Epsom salt bath, getting the magnesium. It's very, very calming and soothing for the body. Sometimes, like even if it's in the middle of the day, if I'm just feeling like tweaked out, I will get into an Epsom salt bath to kind of ground and center myself. This one is especially helpful for highly sensitive people, for the empaths. You can kind of just drain the energy right out of you. It feels really good. Um, Of course, we have essential oils. Now, I am not trained in essential oils, but there's different soothing, calming scents um, that can be helpful for you. So maybe reach out to some of your essential oils folks to help, you know, to help with that. Um, I have really good luck with essential oils around bedtime and calming down. I I, I utilize them quite a bit. Um, I don't take them internally. I, you know, either diffuse them or I'll put them on my body. Um two that I'm using, two blends that I really love by doTERRA are Adaptive and Console in the roller bottles. And then one from Young Living that I've used for, oh my God, over 10 years now is called Peace and Calming. It's very patchouli based. So if you don't like patchouli, you won't use it. It brings me such nostalgic memories that, oh my God, I love it. Scott's, Scott hates patchouli, so I can't really wear it too much around him but like sometimes in private, I'll like put it on and just like smell it and it makes me feel so good. Anyway, he's like, you were, you're wearing the patchouli again, aren't you? <laughs> um, again, CBD could be really helpful with sleep. If you do edibles, if that's legal in your area, um, that's something that, that I know a lot of my clients have good luck with if they're struggling with sleep, doing some type of edible. Um, L-theanine is another great one. I, I talk, just talked about that for anxiety, but it can be helpful for sleep as well, especially if the sleep issues are derived from anxious thoughts. Um, Adrenacom is a cream and it has some nice herbs and some nutrients, phosphatidylserine, some B vitamins, and you don't take it internally. It's a topical. So it's, um, that one's on my, that's on my online dispensary. I really like that one. I'll just rub it on my forearm before I go to sleep and that kind of, especially during anxious times. And then there's always melatonin. I talk to a lot of people about melatonin. I mean, it's not, you know, most people know are familiar with melatonin as a supplement. The the tricky part about melatonin is the dosing. So a lot of studies are done using 0.3 to 0.5 milligrams. That's a very small dose when you compare it to what's being sold on like health food store shelves. You'll see three milligrams, five milligrams, 10 milligrams. Those are pretty high doses. With melatonin, you want to get the lowest dose that you can um, that will help with sleep. So you can buy a smaller dose and just kind of keep dosing up until you get sleep. You want to find like the perfect, like the perfect amount that helps you fall asleep, but doesn't leave you feeling groggy in the morning. For me, that's about one milligram. That seems to work really well. Uh, melatonin and me just get along really nice. It's not something that I take every day, nor do I recommend really leaning on it for sleep. But if you're struggling with sleep, it can help to transition you into a a better sleep habit and pattern. I use it when I'm feeling anxious or on a night that I'm just like really wired and know that I won't be able to fall asleep. I'll use melatonin. 
and I love it. I, I sleep really, really well on it. But again, you do have to tinker around with the dosing. And another idea is to buy a liposomal formula. Quicksilver makes one. And that some people will take the pills and not have any effect and they need the liposomal version for better uh, absorption. So that's something to think about as well. If you've tried melatonin and you're like, this doesn't work for me. Um, and then we want to talk about eating. Um, think about food as self-care. I think a lot of people right now, we're like in fight or flight. And we're like, what can we do? How can we better ourselves? What's happening? What's going on? Um, or we're feeling, you know, there's there's a lot of trauma being rehashed. There's a bit, this big stuff. And and I think we can sometimes look at food as trivial or fueling ourselves as trivial, or like it doesn't matter. What does food matter when we're fighting these big, huge, you know, issues in our world? But it's not trivia, trivial. Even in the midst of a simultaneous pandemic and revolution, nobody wins if you're unwell. Self-care is more important now than ever. You have to take care of yourself so you can keep showing up time and time and time again. And what's interesting, when we talk about stress eating, a lot of people think about binging. And it doesn't always look like that. It can. It can look like binging or eating comfort food or leaning on more snacks and things like that. But for a lot of people, stress actually makes us lose our hunger cues. Not me. I shouldn't say us. I am. I will eat. No amount of stress can take away my hunger. Nope. No, no, no. But for a lot of people, it can. So you might lose your hunger cues. You might skip meals. You might undereat, right? As I said, we just closed out the CCP, and this was the most common trend, is that uh, because of all the intensity going on in the world right now, people just weren't hungry. And so if this is you, you really have to kind of go out of your way to make feeding yourself a priority. Because here, here's kind of how it goes, right? You wake up, you caffeinate, you check the news, or you check social media, or you check both, and all of a sudden you're lost to current events, and you kind of like forget about breakfast or that that's just is not like at the top of your mind, like making a big breakfast and eating a big breakfast. But inside your body, here's what's happening. Your blood sugar plummets, stress hormones skyrocket because of the blood sugar and because of the caffeine and because of the news and because of all the things. So now your stress hormones are, are kicking off. And that in and of itself can amplify any un underlying or festering feelings of anxiety that you have going on. So if your nerves are on the fritz right now, a very important thing to do is to eat steady and consistent meals. Eat a breakfast, eat a lunch, eat a dinner. Um, if you just don't have the headspace to think about meal plans, keep it really simple. It doesn't mean you get to opt out, right? It doesn't mean you get to opt out. Part of being human is feeding yourself. That's a thing that we all have to do. Even under stressful times, all the time, we still have to feed ourselves, right? But it's it's perfectly fine to lean on simple meals. I mean, I always talk about variety. We want to get the most variety as possible. But if you're just like, I don't have the headspace for this, you know, you can eat the same thing every gosh darn day for a while. Keep it simple just to keep the fuel going into your body. So this might look like a smoothie. Smoothies are so good to, because you can pack so much in to one thing, right? You can, you can do the adaptogenic herbs. You can get kind of jazzy about it. You can do the greens. You can do the berries. You can do the fats. You can do all the things right into the blender. Boom. No thought goes into it. Just make it move on with your day. Um, 
basic salad, maybe some like hard boiled eggs. What's easy protein, hard boiled eggs, maybe a can of tuna. Boom. There you go. Throw it on a salad. Be on with their day. There's lunch. How about dinner? A sheet pan meal, right? All the veggies out on one pan. And maybe this is what I've been doing a lot of, you know, something like an asparagus in chopped potatoes on a pan that goes in the oven on top of the oven, also known as the range. (laughs) What's the top part of the oven? There's the range, the stove. Anyway, in a skillet, I'll like fry up some turkey, ground turkey or some ground beef or some chicken sausage or something like that from Vernon Family Farms, right? That's, That's it. That requires very little thought on my end. Roasted veggies, sauteed meat. That's it. That's but that's about what I got these days. Um, so think about things that you can just do that are just like easy for yourself, right? But you're still fueling yourself adequately. Here's my basic smoothie template. I just posted this on Instagram. Basic every day, every day. This is basically what I do. One cup of berries, frozen berries. So that's, you know, those are your pigment-rich antioxidants. Blueberries, blackberries, acai, raspberries, strawberries, cranberries, cherries, whatever. Do a mix. Do one. Whatever. I do half of an avocado for that fat. It also provides creaminess. So if you're going to use a smoothie as a meal, you have to ramp up the fats. And then I do two big handfuls of greens, either um, from a tub of baby spinach. But now I have a ton of greens kicking off in my garden. So I'll just use those. Um, About a cup of non-dairy milk, coconut milk, almond milk, whatever. I'll do protein powder. I'll do some collagen. And then I usually do some like um, medicinal mushrooms like reishi and lion's mane and all that that kind of jazz. I'll throw that into the blender as well. And then I move on with my day. I do not have to think about it. I'm like a robot doing that. Um, Also consider your caffeine intake. If you're feeling extra anxious, it's a good time to lower your caffeine intake uh, because that's just going to contribute to more anxious feelings. So those are some things you can do. There's also practices you can do, grounding practices. If I'm feeling out of sorts, if I'm feeling like I'm holding on to other people's energy or anxiety, or if I'm feeling anxiety that I can't quite pinpoint, there are certain practices that I make sure I do a lot of. Being outside is huge for me. Nature sounds, hearing the birds chirp, like feet on the ground, getting into the garden, just tinkering around, watering plants, just basic stuff like that. We just rebuilt, we, I had no part in this. My husband and his uncle and my dad and my brother tore down the, our old deck and rebuilt it. And it's now such like a, it's an even like nicer space. So I'm just going out there and spending more time out there. Like take my computer outside, right? Just being in surrounded by nature, going for walks in blue and green spaces can be so helpful. Um, you know, I talked about Epsom salt baths. That's another great one. Social media breaks, all that kind of stuff. What can ground you? You need to be doing more practices like that. It doesn't have to take four and a half hours, right? Even just going outside, taking a big inhale, and then kind of getting back on with your day, right? Little things that you can pepper in. And these are stuff, you know, these are all things that we know that we we should be doing. I talk about them on the podcast all the time, but there's sometimes like we, we can be fair weather um, meditators or fair weather, you know what I'm saying? Like we tend to do it when we need it and then we forget about it in times that we don't. So I'm just reminding everybody, hey, you know those practices that make you feel good? Now's a really good time to do them. Um, talk with people. 
I am a verbal processor. (laughs) Um, I need to talk through things with multiple people in order for me to process them. Um, My husband is the exact opposite, so I kind of drive him crazy. Um, But if I have an inkling about why maybe I might be anxious, I have to talk through that. Like that is really important for me to like move through it in my own brain. Um, So right now, if you're processing a lot of what's happening on a national or even a global level, it's helpful to have people to talk through it with you. I, I call in my tried and my true crew, the people that I know who are going to be able to be there, who are going to listen, who are going to hold space, who are going to help me with, like, give me advice, who know me, who understand me, who I don't turn to when I'm feeling anxious are the people who I know won't catch my heart. Um, that's a term that I snagged from Erin Telford. When she, she talks about when you give your heart to somebody and they drop it, it's the worst feeling, right? When you go to somebody and you say, I need you, here's my most vulnerable bits, and you feel like they don't catch it, that Those aren't the people to turn to when you're feeling anxious. You want the supportive people. You want your rocks. You you want the people who you know will be there for you, who will catch your heart. And it's always important to have those people in place and to lean on them when you need them. That can be a struggle for some people is to actually say, hey, I need you right now, right? Because surely you do that for them too. And, And the fact of the matter is people want to help people. People feel good when they help other people. So if you need help, reach out to your people. And if you don't feel like you have that support built in, that's something you can hire out. Maybe work with a therapist, invest in your mental health. It's so important to have people to talk through these things with. Um, Some other tips. Let me think. Um, this one's a. Li- I, I had these like notes that I jotted down. They're a little bit out of out of place. But another uh, other calming practices are to step away. Again, this is something that I'm working on. I cannot fight every battle. You know, like I, I have to just be able to step away and say, like, you know, I got to take a break. I got to reground. I got to recenter. Um, restorative yoga. I've been doing a lot of that lately. I kind of had to reevaluate my exercise. Right now, intense training is not great. So I've been doing a daily walk outside. I've been doing more yoga, more restorative yoga and some rest-based training with weights and just kind of keeping it simple because I'm really conscientious not to continue to jack up my stress response, right? So we have to have the ability to self-assess and figure out what's working for us, what's making us feel more anxious versus what's alleviating the anxiety. Um, Breath work, you guys know I'm a huge fan of breath work. This when I'm feeling anxious and I feel like I'm holding on to emotion that I just can't get through, like I can't logic and reason my way out of it. I can understand why I'm feeling anxious, but even the understanding, like the mental understanding isn't helping me. Sometimes breath work can be really helpful to kind of like slough off the energy, slough off the stress. We hold on to so much emotion, trauma, stress in our physical body. And and breath work can sometimes be a way to let go of that. Okay. So those are all the kind of when I'm feeling anxious and I'm in a high anxiety state, those are the things that I kind of scroll through in my own life. Am I doing all of these practices? Sometimes they don't do the trick. 
if I'm feeling really anxious, I've done all that stuff, what I sometimes will do and often do is call in other people to help me out, like hire out, outsource this, um, invest in other resources. So I'll do um, different types of energy work, emotional freedom technique, EFT with my mom, Sheree Kirstead, she does that, um, cranial sacral therapy. I love Nadine Wheeler in York, Maine. I've, she's also done hypnosis with me before. I respond very well to her work. Um, she has been a lifesaver time and time again for me. Um, I started going to her. So Hattie just turned six. I started going to her before I was pregnant. So maybe eight years ago. And I've circled back to her for different big things in my life. And she has helped me out so much with physical pain in my body, with anxiety, with health issues. She's amazing. I highly recommend. I will do Reiki, distance Reiki with Carolyn uh, Caroline Woodard of Nourished Strength. Um, I'm also a member of her Patreon account. She does distance Reiki once a month, but then I'll hire her to do like a one-on-one -on -one session with me. I This is exciting. I just signed up to get a human design reading from AC Brown. And this isn't, it's not like energy work, energy healing, but I find that learning about myself helps me feel less anxious because I understand why I'm responding to certain situations. I think sometimes my anxiety comes from self-flagellation, like I shouldn't have responded that way, or I'm not doing it the right way, or, you know, that it can come from me second guessing myself. So if I understand why I'm the way I am, that actually lowers my own anxiety. So I'll, I'm going to keep you posted about that because that one I'm really, really excited about. Now, if I've done all of that, if I've done all the practices and I'm still feeling anxious, here's the next thing that I do. I actually feel the anxiety. I say, all right, here we are. It's happening. I've tried to outrun it. I've done all my tricks. I've used all my tools and it's still here. The next layer for me is to like dive in. It's to ask why. Why is this coming up? What is this here to teach me? What is this here to show me? What is my body trying to communicate to me? Why is this coming up? Anxiety can be such a communication tool. Something in your night life needs your attention. It's begging you for your attention. The way that I feel is that sometimes messages try to come through me. They like try to come through my brain or they, they try to, and I'm not hearing it. And so my body has to speak. Like if I'm not hearing the messages that I need to hear, my body has to communicate to me. And sometimes that looks like anxiety, right? Something in your life needs your attention and maybe you haven't been giving it the attention that it needs. So when that's going on, right? When the anxiety is really ramped up and not, none of my tricks are working and it's just not going away, I sit down and I say, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready to feel it. I'll communicate with my body. I, I got you. I hear you. And I ask, like, what, what's going on? I have a literal conversation with my body. What's going on? What's up? What do I need to know? I'm feeling the anxiety anyway, right? I can't outrun it. I've already tried. I just go all the way in. Now, I will say if there's like real trauma, right? If there's, if there's real big stuff, you, you might need to do this with a professional. 
I'm not recommending that this is the right approach for everybody. For me, this is sometimes the way that I have to, I have to handle it. Um, when I do that, I usually get some type of message pretty quickly. Some type of clarity comes up pretty quickly. And once I get that clarity, the anxiety dissipates. Um, I'll, uh, this happened just a couple of weeks ago. I was having like not panic attacks, but pretty darn close. And I finally was like, all right, I cannot outrun this. Like, what's up? I'm just going to, I'm just going to make peace with the fact that I'm anxious right now. I'm just going to let myself feel all of the anxiety. And within two hours, no joke, I got this very crystal clear message of like, this is what you need to do. And I did that thing. And I felt so much better. And it wasn't like a minor thing. It was a pretty big thing. It had everything to do with boundaries. I had to evaluate self-worth. All It was big stuff. But I took an action to support myself. And in doing that, the anxiety went away. So it's a pretty powerful thing if you can do it. Do it. And sometimes the thing, the, sometimes the thing that you have to do the clarity, the action is to feel your emotions that are coming up because anxiety can sometimes act as a mask for other more scary emotions. Gabor Mate in his book, When the Body Says No, talks about this concept of emotional competence, which is the ability to deal with feelings and desires in an appropriate way. Most of us are sorely lacking it. It's just lacking in our society because we see cool in absence of emotion as the prevailing ethic, right? We favor rationality over emotionality. As I talked about earlier, we often tell children, don't be so emotional. Don't be so sensitive. Stop crying. We're, we're essentially told from day one not to feel our feelings, and if we do feel our feelings, people are like, it could be worse. You know, that's like a very common reaction. Well, it could be a lot worse. Be grateful for what you have. And I'm always like, what's up with that? Because gr grief and gratitude are not mutually exclus exclusive. I can be grieving for something and I can also be extremely grateful for everything I have in my life. Like I can, I can hold both emotions at the same time time. This is a big thing that Brene Brown talks about. She says there's no such thing as selective emotional numbing. There's a full spectrum of human emotions. And when you numb the dark, we numb the light. So if you want to feel the joy, you have to be able to feel the sadness. You have to make space for the whole spectrum of emotions. And again, we've never really been taught that this is okay. We've actually been taught it's a bad thing. Don't feel those bad emotions or we spiritually bypass over them. Just love and light and positivity and high vibes all the time. Um, I learned this in, in that book, When the Body Says No, and it's very, um, this was a big aha eye-opening moment for me. He talked about the anger spectrum and he says, repression of anger and explosive rage are two sides of the very same coin. So repressing anger, meaning like you feel angry, but you say nothing. You just kind of like let it simmer underneath the hood. You just hold it in, right? Or just like exploding out in this like uncontrollable rage, like yelling, maybe like putting a fist through a wall, like that kind of stuff. They're both abnormal release of emotions and they're both fear of experiencing anger and emotion. So what happens, anger doesn't really exist in a vacuum. It's not like 
that we it is usually followed up by other emotions. So many of us will feel anger and then we will feel guilt or anxiety for having the anger because we're like, oh, shoot, I'm bad. I'm bad. I shouldn't be feeling this. I was taught that anger is a bad thing. I should not be feeling this anger. So we either feel guilty or we feel anxiety. And when we feel guilty or we feel anxious, we either retreat into ourselves or we have this like explosive rage fit. If you look at a toddler having a tantrum, it's so quick. If you let them just run its their, its course, they have this anger, they explode, they like have this like whole moment and then they just kind of like move through it and move on like nothing ever happened, right? The more that parents discourage that that um, anger or that emotion, the more anxiety producing it will be for the child experiencing it. And then imagine if we carry that through into adulthood. That's you know, that's where a lot of us are. So healthy anger is actually a good thing. It's empowering. It's it, we can relax into it. It doesn't really show up as as anxiety. Healthy anger is like, oh, maybe a boundary violation just got crossed. Now I have to I have to act on it, right? I have to um, set a boundary or whatever. Rage, however, rage is not a healthy emotion. Rage is really you feel more anxiety with rage, right? So beneath your anxiety could actually be rage. Does it make sense for the, for the times? It sure as shit does right now. It sure as shit does. And then when you feel that, you're like, oh God, I shouldn't be feeling that. And maybe subconsciously, you're also feeling guilt or shame in response to that rage. So there's just like this whole mash of emotions. Now, shame is the deepest of the negative emotions. And I say negative like with air quotes. Shame is a feeling we will do almost anything to avoid. When I talked earlier about making mistakes, oh, swift kick to the gut, or like I feel so much shame, I'm just going to run away from this and I'm never going to try again. I just don't, I just want to pretend that this isn't even happening. Shame is like, shame is like, the stuff that wakes, you know, like you just like sit up in bed at night and you're like, remember that thing that happened in sixth grade that you're so embarrassed about? That's shame, right? I'm sure you've seen the memes about that. Shame is the worst. It feels the worst. But guilt and shame are coming up really big right now. Really, really big. I I don't know if you've heard the term white guilt, but there's a lot of that going around. And what Chrissy King said in that workshop that I took on Monday, she said, when you feel guilt and shame, give yourself some compassion, right? That's kind of the anecdote to shame and guilt. Compassion, be compassionate with yourself, but don't let yourself off the hook. Don't run away from this, right? Feel it. Be compassionate with yourself. Get up and try again. Anyway, I think that's all I have to say today. It's a big, 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 long episode. Um, I'm hoping that it provides some help. Um, I'm hoping that it provides some resources for you, some direction, some clarity. And um, if you're feeling the anxiety, hopefully some of these tactics will help. And if ultimately what you're feeling is your is just big emotions, make some space for those big emotions. Dialogue with your people about those big emotions. If you have a therapist, talk to them. This is a this is the time. This is the time for it. Okay, you guys, I love you so much. I am so glad and grateful for you, for your presence. I'm not just saying that. Those are not just words. I truly mean it from the bottom of my heart. Um, I appreciate you sticking 
with me through this entire episode. And we'll be back next week. And I think I'm going to release a uh, an interview. So stay tuned. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. Take care of you.